Cool. This is only my second time to get up here, so I'm excited. I'm a little nervous about it. I played guitar because it was just like, maybe that'll help calm my nerves a little bit. Because <laughs> what I don't do is I don't do this very often. So um, let's kind of recap in what series we're in. Somebody shout out, what series have we been in lately? Thank you. John is the correct answer. We've been in John. So we've been in John since like September-ish. We've had a few different breaks. And so I thought, let's kind of start the morning. Let's recap John a little bit. Okay, so we start, started in John 1, and this is where we hear that in the beginning was the Word. Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And then it goes on, and it starts talking about uh, this guy named John the Baptist, and he starts proclaiming uh, this guy named Jesus that's going to be coming. And he says, I'm preparing the way for this guy named Jesus. So Jesus actually shows up in John 1, and we kind of get to know him a little bit through John. Chapter 2, we see something called the first sign. Jesus turns a whole bunch of water into wine. Some of the best wine. This is a great wedding feast. This happens in a place uh, called Galilee at Cana. So we're going to have to remember that a little bit. Chapter 3, um, we meet this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus at nighttime, kind of asking, uh, okay, what's going on? Um, and Jesus says this famous thing that uh, you have to be born again. So you have to be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, he doesn't really understand it. And, uh, and it also alludes, um, uh, it alludes to a type of Christ that kind of talks about how Christ will, will, will hold us up like Moses did when he held up um, the, the staff, and then we hear uh, the great John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So there's a lot packed into John. Already it's like, okay, I remember some of these things. Is some of it coming back to you a little bit, hopefully? John 4, we hear about the woman at the well. So this is where Jesus comes up and he, she approaches this, this woman and he kind of starts alluding this theme that we're going to see a lot in John, this thirst theme. Water is kind of all out the book of John. And so she runs off and, um, and she tells people, you've got to come meet this guy that told me everything that I've ever done in my life. Right. And people start believing. And Jesus, uh, he actually heals an officer's son also in Cana here um, in Galilee. That was kind of the second sign. Chapter 5, uh, remember chapter 5, remember this story because it's going to tie in today. Jesus heals a man um, in Jerusalem by Bethesda. And this is significant because this was on the Sabbath. And so Jewish law, you didn't do any work on the Sabbath. So when they see Jesus heal somebody on the Sabbath, they get really upset. They're already kind of not liking this guy named Jesus. He's been kind of stirring some ruckus around. So they see this and they get really upset um, that he was healed on the Sabbath. That was, that was a big deal. And then Jesus makes this really great, bold statement, this great uh, I am statement kind of, and he's kind of equates himself to God. So he kind of makes himself equal. Right. And this also makes them very mad. They don't like this. Going to chapter 6, what we talked about last week, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He makes another great I am statement. He says he is the bread of life. So this guy Jesus is coming through, um, kind of uh, disrupting everything that they thought they knew, right? Right? And, and every time he's making these bold statements and he's saying things like, um, this is my father, God is my father, I do only what he does, and, and they, they're not buying it. And then he talks about, I'm the bread of life, and then he says the famous thing that, that you cannot uh, uh, know the father, you have to eat my bread, I mean eat my, my flesh, drink my blood. 
And to them, this is, this is just a crazy con- context. Is that the right? No, not context. Concept. Crazy, thank you, Jasper. Crazy concept to them. They, they don't like this. So that all kind of sets the stage for chapter 7. Okay, so in chapter 7, um, Jesus is going to be going to one of the biggest, if not the biggest, celebration that's going to be happening in Jerusalem. He's going to be going there with everybody. Everybody's invited to this. This is kind of a, a party for all. Even the Gentiles were invited to this. And Jesus is going to be going there in the midst of this, making more bold statements, making more proclamations that's really going to anger some folks. Um, so that's kind of setting the stage a little bit, okay? Um, let's pray and let's ask that the Lord use our text this morning um, to reveal Himself and that He just starts stirring something in our hearts. So Father, we come to You. We are grateful that You're here. We are grateful that You have brought us here and that You've been with us all along. Lord, I echo the last song that we just sang. Thank You, Jesus, for setting us free. Thank You for giving us Your Word. That we can just talk through Your truth, talk through Your grace, and just talk about how good You are. For we love You, and in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. As, as we, were, we were praying, this is off topic, a song, uh, we, don't, we don't really sing it here, but it, it, it came to me and it simply says, um, we surrender all to you, do what you want, do what you want. God, we love to see you move, do what you want. And so that's kind of my prayer this morning, that he just moves. Amen? Because I'll probably stand in the way of it if, uh, if I let myself, so we need him just to move me out of the way. All right, so uh, here's our text for this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you, please turn to it. If you've got an app, you know, flip to it. The main text that we're going to be talking about is John 7, 37 and 38. So if we get over there, it says this. Let me get to it. My Bible's done turn pages on me. Here we go. So Jesus says, "On on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So this is a really bold thing that Jesus is going to speak. But first, got to back up a little bit to understand what he's talking about. Um, So first he says, or it says on the last day of the feast. So what feast is this? We learned from the very start of John 7, uh, that he is at the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Uh, my wife kept misunderstanding me when I was saying it. Not the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Booths. Um, they call it uh, uh, the Feast of Sukkot, uh, is, is kind of how it is. But the Feast of Tabernacles. And so what this is, the Feast of Tabernacles was basically a celebration of when the Lord delivered them from Egypt, way back in the Old Testament. And so they're coming out of Egypt, and so what they would do is they would have, it would be on the 15th day of the seventh month, um, which would be around September typically for us is when it's usually celebrated, um, and they would all get together, all of Jerusalem, all of surrounding Jerusalem would get together. So the men would be required, the women and children would be there, and this one's kind of interesting from a lot of places is that this was known as a feast for all because they would invite even the Gentiles. So everybody would come together to celebrate the Lord. And they would sleep in tents or in what they would call booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. And they would sleep outside for eight days. 
for, for this is for a week long that all everybody's outside. So it's almost like Woodstock or something crazy like that. If you get in your brain, if all of Magnolia, if we said, okay, um, next week, the whole city of Magnolia, we're going to celebrate the Lord and you have to stay outside. That's what we're going to do. And so everybody would get outside and um, just think of the chaos that this is going to be. It's chaotic in my house with two kids. I don't want all of your kids around me all the time either. You know, and so this has got everybody's outside. This is a chaotic scene. It's a huge celebration. It's a huge party. And what they would do is they would have like the priest and the high priest. And every day they would wake up and they would go down and they would use this big jar and they would pull some water out and they would come back and they would march around. And they kind of had built this big, this, this big rock and they would pour water down. And it kind of symbolized back when um, uh, Moses strikes the rock back in the Old Testament. Let's read it real fast. Back in Numbers, I think it's chapter 20. Um, I believe that's when it is. Chapter 20. Got it wrote down. Yeah, 2011. Where'd it go? Yeah, and Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with the staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And... So it's kind of, it's a celebration of that, and they would kind of remember that. So they'd go up, they'd pour water down, everybody, woo, they'd all hoot and holler and do all that fun stuff, and they would just be remembering the Lord. That was kind of the whole purpose of it, but this is a week-long deal. Stress that, because I think that's important to understand the context of what Jesus is about to walk into. So often when I hear Jesus speaking, I'm kind of envisioning this. And, and if, it's, if it's me and you're envisioning this, it's kind of this guy that's a little shaky and he knows what he's wanting to say up here and sometimes it comes out right and sometimes it doesn't. And then you think of Jesus in this huge context and you're like, oh man, what boldness. So that's kind of the, the background of it. All the Gentiles were invited. Uh, the water uh, was symbolized to remind them that the Lord had provided. This is an eight-day gathering. It's like a bunch of hippies. They're all throughout there. So now let's walk through... John 7 a little bit in order to get there. I'm not going to read every verse, but I, my brain works in context as far as uh, the, the way that it lays it out. So we're just going to kind of try to get through most of chapter 7. Is that cool? Okay, so this starts, and it says, Jesus went about in Galilee, which He's been in Galilee a lot, and it said He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. And now this is the, the, the Feast of the Booster at hand. Jesus is with His brothers, and His brothers, who have kind of grown up with Him, don't really get that He's Jesus yet. They don't really believe Him. And so they're telling Him, they're saying, let's go to the big feast. Um, you do all these miraculous things. Let's go to this feast, and everybody will get to see all the things that you're doing. They're, they're basically saying, Jesus, come make yourself famous if you are who you say you are. Come make yourself famous. And Jesus holds back a little bit. And I want to I touch on him holding back because so often in John, we've already saw it a few times, Jesus is speaking and people start uh, getting really upset and they want to they arrest him. They want to stop this. And so often the Scriptures simply just say, um, but no one laid a hand on him. He's just protected. The Lord's got his timing. But this instance is a little different. I want to read verse 2, or end of verse 1. It says, He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I've seen in my life that the Lord's timing can be everything. When my wife and I moved to Tennessee, we never thought we would come back. Not because we hated this place. We just we liked it there. We just didn't think we'd ever come back. And so, I don't know if I've ever even shared this story. 
didn't plan to share this story. Might not should share this story, but I'm going to. So I, we're, we, we find out that we're pregnant with our second child, Ethan. And that kind of just starts changing things within us because we're like, okay, number one, we're, we're, we live here, we work here, we go there. We want to be able to have family around a table. We want to be able to be together. Do we want to go back to the Magnolia? It's like, ah, I don't know if we want to do that, but we want to find a way to restructure our lives so that we can be together because we're, we're pretty busy, as I think it gets easy to be. And I'm driving, pick Ellie up from daycare one day, and I'm driving, and Kyle calls. He was like, hey, man, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing. What do you want? Why are you calling me? And so he starts telling me uh, about, about here, and he was like, man, we, we just... Where we're wanting to go, we're needing some kind of help, and we know that you're up there. Just your name keeps coming to mind. I think that was his words. Your name comes to mind. We know that you're not going to come move back. We know you don't want to move back, but your name came to mind, and I told the elders that I would call you and waste my time and your time and just say, hey, do you want to come back? What he didn't know is that we were pregnant. What nobody knew is that we were pregnant. And so I, the Lord's timing was perfect, and Kyle's obedience, he didn't have to call, Kyle's obedience of saying, okay, guys, let's do it. It was the Lord's time. Nothing, I don't think any, any other phone call would have gotten us back besides his call. That's what did it. So I say all this because Jesus knows that if he goes there, it is not his time to go there. Jesus knows that he could go there and supernaturally say, you can't touch me. It's not my time. Back off. But he doesn't. And I think that's vital to us hearing the Lord on a day-to-day basis that there is times when the Lord steps in and says, this is what I have for you. But there's also times when the Lord is speaking that He wants us to listen. So Jesus chooses not to go. Why? Because He knows they will kill Him. <laughs> Pretty simple. I wouldn't want to go either. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on that because I thought it was very, it was very interesting to me. Because later in the same chapter, we see the divine kind of intervention. They're wanting to kill Him, but they can't. Here, it just says He didn't go because He... They were seeking to kill him. So let's keep moving. They didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. So his brothers are sitting there and they're kind of mocking him. They're not mocking him, but they're like, hey guys, come on, make yourself famous. Jesus goes on and even says, uh, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus is telling them, look guys, my time hasn't come yet. Y'all go on. So we get in, in verse 10 and it says, after his brothers have gone to the feast, then he goes up too. So Jesus just says, guys, I'm not going. It's not my time. They go, and then he goes up, but not publicly. He goes up privately. He kind of sneaks in there. Um, and this is what it says. It says, the Jews were looking for him at this feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. I'm in verse 12 right here. While some said he is a good man, Others said, no, he's leading all the people astray. He's deceiving them. Yet for the fear of, of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So a quick tidbit is this story happens about three years into Jesus' three and a half year ministry. So let that sink in a minute. So Jesus has been going about for three years doing all this stuff. We've recorded some of it in the book of John. But Jesus has done a lot. He has made himself known throughout this area. This is not the very first time that he's been here. It's not the second time he's been here. He's been doing this for three years. This is the biggest celebration. And so they, they don't like him. He's been doing it for three years. They are looking for him. They know that he will show up. They're kind of just like waiting. But it's interesting because a lot of the, the Jews that believed in him, 
nobody wanted to say anything. So you get a lot of mumbling. Think of like going to a party. Everybody ever had something in high school where you know something's going to go down and you're like, if that one guy gets there, oh, it's going down. And everybody's kind of whispering and it's like the teachers know what's going on and you're on guard. Like that's kind of the, the, the tension that, that they were mounting here. Everybody's waiting. When is Jesus coming? Why is he not here? And so a question that comes up is, who is Jesus? If you've got your hand out, the very first question or the very first blank thing, um, who did they say Jesus was? And I say that because it's important, and we're going to come back. Our whole theme today is going to be, who do you say Jesus is? Because what they thought he was, some said he was a good man. So some people thought he was good, good guy, done some really cool stuff, helped some people. Some thought he was a prophet. Some thought he was the Christ. <clears throat> they didn't quite understand it yet, but some thought that. Some thought he was a liar and a cheat and a deceiver. And that he was just trying to lead everybody astray. And so how you answer that question, I think is one of the greatest questions in life. Who do you say Jesus is? Because if, if, if he was a good man or if he's a prophet, he might as well be the liar and the deceiver. But if he's Christ, if he's who we would call king, and if he's who we call savior, it changes things. It should. It should change how we approach this thing called life. It should change how we approach this thing called um, loving one another that we talk about. It should kind of change the whole spectrum that we view life in. So if you've got anything to write with notes, I would just write that question and just let it, let it dwell as I'm uh, kind of rambling up here at times. Who do you say Jesus is? Okay, so we'll keep going a little bit. So some of them think he's, they're, they're whispering about him. So about the middle of the feast, so this would probably be, I don't know, the second, third, fourth day, somewhere in through there, Jesus shows up publicly. He might have gotten there a little bit earlier uh, and kept to himself. But about the middle of the feast, verse 14, Jesus goes up into the temple and begins teaching. So now he's kind of went from, hey, they might kill me. I'm not going to go there. It's kind of swapped to, it's my time. I'm going up there and I'm preaching. So he gets up there and starts teaching and they are marvel at him. And they, they say, how does, he, uh, how does he know all this stuff? Or he hasn't had the training that we've had. So all these Pharisees have been through all kinds of training under different rabbis, and they know, because this is the three years into Jesus' ministry, that He hasn't done all this stuff. And so it makes them really angry. It makes them really angry. He makes more bold statements. <laughs> Jesus makes statements that uh, He says, uh, what does it say? My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is mine or is from God. So he basically tells them, look, this is not my teaching. He makes all these bold statements. And if you were of God, you would know that. Right. So he's, he rubs them the wrong way, and I love it. I really do. I really do. I've already lost my spot. I don't know where I'm getting any of this stuff. Um, so Jesus makes some really good, bold statements. Uh, and, and then uh, I want to read this part in verse 19 through 21. So Jesus makes these statements, and he says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in them there is no falsehood. And then in verse 19, I'm going to read 19 through 24. Has not Moses given the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So the crowd answered, 
You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. So they're kind of they're, they're mocking this. They're looking around saying, no one's trying to kill you. Jesus knows they are. They know they are. And Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. This is most likely when he healed the man on the Sabbath. Most likely the story he's talking about here because that was the last time he was actually in this area. Uh, then he says, Moses gave you the circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath the man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. If you can, underline that because that is something to keep in mind. He's making them mad again. He is saying, you're so worried about the law here that you will, you will break other laws to keep your law. Yeah. But yet you get mad at me um, when he's actually healing a man. So rather than perfecting one part of, of, of the body, I'm actually healing a whole man, and yet you want to kill me for it. So again... The circumstances, these people are getting angry. This is kind of going against what they thought they knew. And then Jesus makes this huge statement. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. I think that's something that we should write in like the news headlines right now. We have so many issues going on. Um, this kind of reads like, like today's news in a way of like, who is Jesus? There's, there's a divide about it. There's a divide about many topics. A lot of things going on where, where it seems that it's either here or here. And if you're not on one of those sides, don't ever speak to me. <laughs> Anybody ever felt like that? You're scared, kind of scared to have to tiptoe around things? We can use this right here. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus wants to look into the heart here. Jesus is actually blurring the lines a little bit and saying it's actually not here or here with this whole healing thing. It's like, I'm following the Lord's will. I just thought that was really neat. It convicted me a lot this week because my brain works in ways at times. I get it from her. Amen. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I hope, I hope this is helpful. All right, so in verse 25... Uh, after he starts saying this stuff, some more people, they start saying, um, is this the Christ? They're trying to start answering that same question. Um, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? So they're at this big celebration and they start noticing, wait a second, that's Jesus over there. They want to kill him. Why don't they kill him? He's right there. And it says, and here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So now they're starting to question, like maybe there's a conspiracy going on. Is there something we don't know? But we know where this man comes from. And when Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So then they're like, no, nah, we know where he comes from. He comes from right down the road. He's got brothers. You know, he's got brothers. They were trying to, they were here earlier. He wasn't here. We know where he comes from. He can't be the Christ. And so Jesus gets up again and he makes more bold statements. And he says, you know me and you know where I come from. It's like, yep, you do. Um, and then he goes, but I have not come on my own accord. So he keeps making these equality statements with the Lord. 
He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Can you see why they were getting mad at him? Man, I love it. I love it. Boldness in a big celebration, remember, and he sits up there and he says, He who sent me is true, and you don't know him. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So, verse 30, again, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Because his hour had not yet come. No other reason that we're told. We are not told that he fled. We're not told that he had guards. Just didn't happen. Now, can you imagine how easy it would have been to get him? Think again of the context. He's kind of going around. He's making ruckus. Everybody knows who he is. They, they, we're going to find out in a minute why they were afraid. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but still, many people believed him. And one of the reasons, kind of like last week, if you remember, Kyle said this great thing where uh, Jesus, he says, uh, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And then the disciples say, this is a hard teaching. Who can follow it? And it says, many disciples stopped following him. And Jesus turns in a way only Jesus can do. And he turns and he's like, are you going to go too? We rarely see Jesus chase people down. He's just like, if you're going to go, go. Like what I'm speaking is truth. And then they say, where else will we go? If what you're saying is true, it's hard, but what else are we going to do? And this kind of happens here. They, they hear all this stuff and then they say, well, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this guy? So now they're like, we're not even sure if this is the guy or not. But what we do know is that we can't envision anybody doing anything more than what this guy's doing. There's something about him. So people would believe. Uh, we're going to get to the main text soon, I promise. Verse 32. Pharisees heard the crowd muttering all these things. So the, 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 the officers are going around. They're hearing all this stuff. And so they finally sent people to arrest him. So they'd kind of been like a known thing they were trying to get him. Now they've officially go get him. Uh, and, and Jesus starts telling them, I'll be with you a little bit longer. Where I'm going, you can't come. And so they start getting really mad again. They're like, we don't understand where he's going. Somebody go get this guy. Get him out of here. Now, back to verse 37. All that to get us kind of back there to the context of when Jesus stands up and says this, this isn't something he's been, uh, uh, I guess, prepping for or something that he's been... You know, it's a great revival, and we get up and we hear Jesus make all these great things. That's the context. It's big celebration, kind of a riot, kids everywhere. I'm assuming it would be probably pretty muddy and just dirty. They've all been living outside. And it finally gets to where they want to kill and arrest him. And Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, the greatest day. So the way this feast worked, there were seven days. And then on the eighth day, it was it was the biggest celebration. It was the... The Olympics are closing today. It was the closing celebration of the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, Sukkot. This is when everybody's there. You might have been there the other few days, and you might have been here, but on this day, you are there. You are listening. And it says, Jesus stood up and He cried out. And that word is, in the Greek, it's a word called, I think I'm saying it right, krazo. And what that word is used when Jesus is on the cross and He is crying out to the Father, please forgive them. That word is used when the disciples are in the boat and they see Jesus walking and they cried out. It's an, it's an intense word. It's not just, well, He's kind of 
He's kind of speaking. This is a bold statement. He's crying out to everybody. And he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So who's he talking to? That word anyone actually just means anyone. It's not a trick word. But there is a condition. So he says, if anyone thirst. So Jesus is talking to the people that are thirsty. And in their context, we've already talked some about water. In their context, water is a big deal. Thirst was a little bit more of a deal than it is now. Like I'm a little thirsty now. I could drink some water. But in their day, it was thirsty. Can you help quench this, that I'm always thirsty? What can satisfy? So Jesus always talks about, I will give you, I will give you something to drink. That you'll never thirst again. And so He comes back to that. If you are thirsty, come to Me. Whoever believes in Me, Jesus says, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So He's saying if you're thirsty, He's going back to that same thing. I will again give you Water that you will never thirst again. So much so that it will pour out. Kyle and Jasper went uh, on a hiking trip that I don't think they hiked any on this past week. <laughs> so that's my kind of trip. Um, <laughs> and I bring that up because of that simple verse right there, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus does not say, if anyone comes and thirst, let him believe in me, and I will simply satisfy you alone all the time. And I say that because I know, I know Jasper specifically could live in like a mountain for the rest of his life and be happy. I think I would be right there, just, just like, get me away from everything, all the distractions, give me coffee, my wife and kids and Jesus, right? That's a false reality, and that's not what Jesus calls us for. It sounds good, because people make me mad all the time. People annoy me, and I'm like, why would you do that? And it's messy. You ever had a messy relationship with friends, and you're just like, I can't deal with that right now. I don't got time for that. All the time, right? We're called to that. We're called to love one another. Time and time again, we are called that the world will know that we're disciples of Christ by the way we love one another, by the way it pours out. I'm not saying it's not enough for it to come in, but the intention, what Jesus is saying here, is that he, um, whoever believes in him, the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow living water, which we know because of the next verse, what he's talking about. It says, now this is said, uh, John writes, about the Spirit. Because when, when he first said this, they didn't have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come when Jesus makes this statement. But John kind of clarifies it for us. He says, now he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given um, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what he's talking about is Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me and I will pour out my Spirit in you so that it can pour out to others. That is his intention. That's how we're to reach the world. That's how we're to live, is with this outpouring, which I just think is beautiful. 
So much of my life was uh, not focused on anybody else at all. So question two, I've got a blank there, and it simply says Jesus is. Because I think that's up to you to answer that. It goes back to one of the greatest questions. Who do you say Jesus is? Is He king? Is He a good man? Is He a deceiver? Is He somebody that simply helps you throughout your day? Is He a crutch to fall back on? I've heard that term a lot. Is He comfort food, kind of? Is He Lord? Who do you say Jesus is? The crowds were divided. We'll finish up in verse 40 here. When they heard these words, some of them said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. And some said, is this, but others said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Because they didn't really believe much good came out of Galilee. And so they go on and they're like, um, we don't think this is where he comes. And so some, some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. And then, uh, the officers kind of come to all the people that wanted to arrest him and they say, why did you not bring him in? We've been telling you for this whole feast, get that guy in here and nobody's brought him in. And now on the last day, the greatest day, Jesus gets up and makes a bold statement and talks about, uh, if you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. Why would you not bring him in? And what do they say? <laughs> this I love. They say, no one has ever spoke like this man. They're basically saying, you go get him. You hear what he's saying? We're not touching that dude. What if he's right? What if he is who he says he is? And then they get all mad and they say, have you also been uh, deceived? And then Nicodemus that we read back in chapter 3 actually stands back up and he's like, guys, calm down a little bit. Uh, shouldn't we at least have a trial if we're going to be arresting him? And then they kind of make fun of him and they're like, are you from Galilee too? And then they, so they plot to kill him. So that's kind of how chapter 7 ends. So my question is simply, who do you say Jesus is? And in our home group, I always joke that I'm good with silence. Because if you're like me, you need to think about these things a little bit. Is He just a good man to you? Do you believe what's written here? If you do believe it, what do you do with that? Some of these people did believe that Jesus was who He said He was. Some of them said, okay, I think He's the Christ. And they just kind of whispered among themselves for fear of everybody else. Anybody been there? It's been there. All going through school and college mostly. It was I would find my friends that I knew I could talk to and everybody else just kind of... I want to get made fun of. So who do you say Jesus is? I think He's jackhammering outside. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come up. And they're going to sing a song um, in just a minute that simply states, all I want is Jesus. Some of the lyrics in this song, it says, I've come too close, I can't go back again. Everything on earth is strangely growing dim. 
And it brought me to thinking about my son, Ethan, who's probably crying now. And when he sees his mother, when he sees Shay, he is ruined for anything else. It doesn't matter if you have a little ball toy you're trying to shake to get his attention. It doesn't matter if I want to somewhat play with him. It doesn't matter. Usually when he sees his mother, he knows that she can provide everything in his life. She gives him comfort. She gives him um, food. She gives him shelter. She changes him way more than I do. There is something there, right? If you've had children, you, you, you get this. There's something there that Ethan is completely ruined at anything else the world can offer because he has tasted and he has seen the love of Shay. And I think it's interesting that Jesus tells us to have a Christ-like faith when we come to him. Not a Christ-like faith, a child-like faith. Y'all are like, that doesn't make sense. Because if you've really tasted and seen the goodness of our King, you're kind of ruined on everything else. Nothing else really matters. But I don't, no, I don't always live that way. I don't always process that way. I don't always think that way. And so this morning, as they sing, I want you to go to the Father. If you've been there, if you've been that close, that there's no coming back, you've done experience the Lord, can we get back there? That's been my prayer this week, is I want to get back to the place where when I think about the Lord and I think about Christ, the things that I love, guitars, singing, my wife, kids, but things that I love just kind of fade away because Christ is enough.